Amen. If you have a little one that would like to be in children's church, Miss Kim is ready to share. And while they're making their way out, let me encourage you to take out a copy of God's Word and turn with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. We're working our way through the Gospel of John, looking at the seven I am statements of Jesus. And there are seven times in the seven times in the she's going the wrong way, Miss Kim. I don't, I don't. Did you scare her? Oh, she's being a helper. Well, look at that. Look at that. I'm glad your daddy raised you right. That's uh, Clint, you get credit. All right, John chapter 10. John chapter 10. We see these seven I am statements of Jesus. And seven times in the gospel of John, Jesus says, I am. And he, and he says a phrase with it. Like, I, I am the way. Or I am the, the shepherd, the good shepherd. Or, or I am the bread of life. And, and every one of those statements is Jesus' way of, of revealing himself to us as God. And also revealing to us our need for him, every one of those statements points out a, a particular reason why he came and what we needed. And this is the goal of God, that Christ would bring God to us. And so we have this. And, and this morning, we come to two of the seven statements that are found in this chapter 10. There are two there that Jesus will make, but probably the most uh, famous to us, or the one that stands out the most, is where Jesus will say, I am the good shepherd. Now the imagery of shepherd is found all through the Bible. This allegory or metaphor, if you will, of God and his relationship to his people. We find it in Ezekiel 34 where God says he's going to gather up his scattered sheep. We find it in Isaiah where he says he will protect his flock. We find it in Jeremiah where he says that the Lord will search for his sheep. We find it in Psalm 23, where it says, the Lord is my shepherd. We find this imagery of God being a shepherd to his people. And this imagery is designed to show us this tender love that God has for his children. That he has come to protect us, to gather for us, to give to us, to provide for us. There is this love and warmth of God towards his people. This imagery for us. Now, let us be clear. We living in the 21st century in America, in an industrial nation, uh, shepherding in the Middle East is not something that we are rightly familiar with. We're not sure what it means to be a shepherd in the desert of Palestine, but we can understand the analogy in many ways. Like a mother who takes care of her children, protecting and loving and feeding. That's the shepherd to the sheep. Like the cow farmer who takes care of his cattle. Like the, the, the um, wife who tends to her husband when he's in need. Or the husband who tends to his wife in need. That, that relationship of care and kindness. This is the picture of the shepherd. And so in John 10, Jesus describes himself as the good Shepherd, will you join me in John 10 and let us read together the first uh, 19 verses or 18 verses, if you will, of John chapter 10. This is Jesus speaking. He's in Jerusalem. This is around the time of the Feast of Tabernacles as we looked at last week. And, and here's what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the, gate, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. 
When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Verse 5. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used to them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Verse 7. So again, he said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not the shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down for my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Would you pray with me, Lord? As we read this story of you teaching us of who you are and why you came, we have here a powerful picture of the shepherd and the sheep. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that you would help us as we wade through the text, as we, as we make our way through the, the ancient words of Christ that are living and relevant and alive today, Lord, that, that you would remind us just how you care about us how you care for us, how you call us by name and you carry us, not just in this life, but but for all eternity. Lord, today, right now, remind us again how good you are and how good it is to be the sheep of your pasture. Lord, I pray for the one this morning that, that they know you, They are a Christian, they are a believer, but they feel scattered, they feel attacked, they feel hurt, they feel broken, they feel worn out by this uh, the thorns and thistles of life. I pray they'd be reminded that you've not left them, that you love them, that you're caring for them, that you're watching over them. I pray, Father, for the one that may not know you this morning, that that they're not sure if they're following you, they don't know if they're a believer, They're they're not confident that you're their shepherd. I pray you'd make it clear this morning The decision they must make to follow your voice. And God, I hope that when we leave this place, we will have have seen again how you love us. Oh, how you love us. Bless our time now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me make sure that you have a little bit of context for this passage, or otherwise it it will be kind of a standalone analogy, and it won't make sense. If you were to read chapter 9 of John, here's what you'll find. You'll find in chapter 9 that it's the Sabbath. That means the holy day in the Jewish world, that it's the day of rest, that they were not allowed to do any work. They weren't allowed to do any kind of activities. They were to set that side of day to remind themselves that God is on the throne, that God holds all things together, and that he provides for them, and he is worthy 
of worship. And so we have this Sabbath and the Jewish leaders, because they are so religious and so built in ritual that they have literally made the Sabbath into a bunch of rules and tried to keep it in order to put themselves up as holy. And so what happens in chapter nine is there's a blind man and Jesus sees the blind man. Jesus goes to the blind man. Jesus takes mud and spit and spreads it on the blind man's eyes. And the blind man is able to see. Jesus heals a man who the Bible would say in John chapter 9 has been blind since birth. Now, I don't know about you, but if we had in our congregation a congregant who has been blind from birth and Jesus were to walk into the building and heal them on the spot, we'd take up an offering right there. I'm kidding. We'd worship right there on the moment. We, we, would, we would celebrate the goodness of God. But the Pharisees, if you read in chapter 9, said this man, and I'm paraphrasing, must be from Satan because he's done this work, this physical activity of healing on the Sabbath. Now, brothers and sisters, let us just remind ourselves that if our view of Jesus is to where people can't be healed because it's a certain day, we have missed Jesus. That, that salvation and healing and rescuing is offered to all people at all times because God is not a keeper of time. He is a God who's come to save. And so they, they find themselves angry that Jesus has done this. And so what Jesus does is they begin a dialogue in chapter 9. They find the man who's been healed and they say, who healed you? Who did this? And they say, well, it was Jesus, that guy from Bethlehem, that Nazarene, he did this. And, and they said, he couldn't have done this. He's a sinner. And they argue with the guy about who healed him. Now, I don't know about you, but if I watch a guy touch my eyes and pull the scales off and I see him face to face, I'm going to remember who did that. And so in chapter 9, he literally says, I don't know where he, or the Jews say, well, he must have come from Satan. And the guy you know, just a common man says, he, he says these words. He says, I don't think you know where he came from, but I know I was blind and now I can see it must be from God. And so they have this argument. Now, why do I tell you all that? Because in Ezekiel chapter 34, this is what Jesus predicts. Jesus predicts through his scripture in Ezekiel chapter 34, God gives to us that one day the nation of Israel will be led by false shepherds. It'll be led by bad shepherds. It'll be led by those who are leading the people away. And now Jesus enters the scene in the New Testament in John chapter 10, and he's declaring that he is the true shepherd. And we find from chapter 9 to chapter 10, he's literally living out the prophecy of Ezekiel 34. That you have these Jewish leaders that are leading the nation of Israel away from God. They're stubborn in their ignorance. And he's come in order to call them out and tell them that he is the true shepherd. So that's the background. Why is that important? Because you're going to read in the text where he says, some of y'all have come in the door as robbers and thieves. You ain't real shepherds. I'm the real shepherd. So we have this picture of Jesus being the good shepherd. So what does it mean that Jesus is the good shepherd to us. Well, I want to show you three beautiful truths about the Lord Jesus this morning as he is the good shepherd. Truth number one, because Jesus is the good shepherd, he gathers his sheep. He gathers his sheep. In the first six verses, we will see the relationship between Jesus and his people. And by sheep, we mean Christians, believers, those who've come to his salvation. He gathers them into his 
fold. Let us look together at the first six verses. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and they call his own sheep, and by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the stranger. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. Boy, isn't that a testimony of all of us from some time to time? Lord, I'm not sure what you mean here. Please help me. Well, they didn't understand, but, but I want you to notice what Jesus is doing. Jesus is describing how he's come to gather his sheep, and he's giving us the beginning of the day. Now, we're going to have to go back and forth between first century shepherds and, and the analogy. So let me give you the, the analogy first, the first century shepherds. When shepherds had a flock of sheep and they were in town, they were in the village, there would be often a big communal corral. There would be a kind of a, a big catch pen, if you will, and multiple flocks of sheep would be brought in. Could have been a courtyard in the village, could have been right outside the walls, but it was an idea where they, the, the town would share this giant, all of y'all seen a John Wayne movie where they bring all the cows into the train station and put them in the fence, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? If you don't know, hey, the kids are out of school for a couple weeks, John Wayne, man, just go for it, right? The idea is, is that, that they would gather all these sheep up and they would ultimately hire a gatekeeper. So there would be a gatekeeper that would watch the big corral with all the sheep. And what would happen is, is when morning would come, the shepherds would come and the gatekeeper would know the shepherd, let the shepherd in and the shepherd would get his sheep out and he would lead them out into the pastures, into the wilderness of Palestine. And it's a desert. So they would move from place to place to place looking for water and grass. It's not like where we have farm fields and hay fields growing here. And so there's this big corral. Now you have the picture. Look at the text. Look what it says about Jesus. It gives us two beautiful ideas about Jesus. One, it tells us that Jesus is the only legal shepherd to get God's children. He is the only legal shepherd. He's the only one with legal standing to rescue God's sheep. There is no one else that is legally has authority to come get God's sheep. Look with me at what I mean. Verse 1 through 3, it says... But he enters the door, excuse me, verse 2, says there are those that have tried to climb in another way. They've tried to be robbers and thieves. They've tried to trick. They've tried to uh, scoundrel. He's speaking to the Pharisees to their face. He's speaking to false messiahs that have tried to come before him. But in verse 2, he says, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. There is authority in Jesus' coming. He is the legal shepherd of God's sheep. He is the plan in which Jesus sent. He doesn't come by trickery. He doesn't come by force and robbery. He comes at the will of the Father to rescue the people. Now, why is this important for us? Because brothers and sisters, there is no other way to enter into the sheepfold of God but through Jesus. Jesus is the only legal savior heaven has sent. There aren't multiple ways. There aren't other ways. There aren't some ways. There is one way, and it's through the legal shepherd, Jesus Christ. He alone has the authority of God. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 15. In verse 15, notice what Jesus claims. We'll get to it in a moment, but he says, Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have come because God in heaven has sent me. I am the legal shepherd. I am the one who's come to rescue. I am the one who has the standing. I'm the one you open the gate for. I'm the one you come 
2. We find this in Psalm 103, where God would say these words, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us. We are the sheep of His people and the sheep of His pasture. This is God's call to us that we are His. And so Jesus has the legal standing to come get us. What makes Him the great shepherd that can gather His sheep? He's legally the one that God has sent. But I want you to see a second truth that's even more beautiful. Because while legality is important, it's important that we know who the Savior is and that he alone has authority. There is something more intimate here. It's not only that he is legally the one who gathers us, but it is that he is personally the one who gathers us. Now notice what happens. Look with me at verse 3. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. And he leads them out. And when they are brought out of his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him. And they know his voice. Now think about the beauty of this passage. Think about what the Lord... Now now remember what I told you. It's a giant corral with multiple flocks. So you would have your sheep in there and my sheep would be in there and and somebody else's sheep would be in there. And we've, we've paid the gatekeeper. We walk up and I say, I'm here for all the Horton sheep. Now, how in the world am I going to separate out the Horton sheep from all the other sheep? Well, we would learn from the Mediterranean and first century Israel. And even today, this is practiced in the Middle East. And you got to understand something. In the Middle East, they raise their sheep mainly for wool and not meat. And so a sheep will stay with a shepherd for a long time. It is not just raised as, as, uh, as beef or cattle that we slaughter to eat. It is, it is raised for wool and for milk. And so therefore, they keep the sheep a long time. They know the sheep. The sheep is their pet. And so literally what we know from first century Middle East uh, shepherds is that they would spend so much time with their sheep that they might even name them one by one and that they would have a special call. Some even had a flute and some had a voice that the shepherd would walk to the gate and say his name of his sheep and they would line up like school children. Man, I want to send my kids to those shepherds. (laughs) They would line up. That That he... He calls them personally, and they come out. That's my shepherd. He's come to get me. And the the beauty of it is, is that when the shepherd shows up, the sheep knows this is a good thing. This is a good thing. The shepherd's come to get me. It's time to go. We're going to get some cool water. We're going to get some fresh grass. Here comes my shepherd. That's not my shepherd. No, no, I don't go with him. I don't go with her. This is my shepherd. This is the voice of the Lord who's called in the night. This is the one who says, Corey, come and follow me. This is the personal shepherd of God who's come to rescue his sheep. When God gathers his people, he has the legal right to do it through Christ, but it's deeper than that. It is the personal, affectionate voice of our Savior who calls us. He calls us. He rescues us. He pulls us out. And notice what he tells us here. Look, look with me at verse uh, f- uh, 3. To him the gate opens, the sheep hear his voice, he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Notice the word leads. It doesn't say he drives them out. He's not behind them with the whip and the stick. He's in front of them. He's going before them. 
He's blazing the trail of safety and security. He's walking so they'll know where to walk. They follow him and in step with him and they are protected and loved because of him because he's personally looking out for their well-being. And look at verse four. When he brought all of his own out, he goes before them and the sheep will follow him and they know his voice. Now, brothers and sisters, let us step out of the analogy. This is salvation. This is Jesus coming and knocking on the door. This is Jesus coming and declaring, I have come that you may have life. This is Jesus saying, I bid you come and die. This is Jesus saying, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the voice of Jesus calling for the sheep to be saved. And our response is hear his voice and get in line and follow the shepherd. And you know what's beautiful about this? There ain't one single sheep in that corral that gets credit for being led safely into the pasture. When you say that you've come to the shepherd, when you say that the king has called you, when you say that you're following Jesus, it's not because somehow or another you as a sheep did something good. It's because the shepherd called you and you got in line. This was the king came for you personally and legally declaring, I've come to gather up my sheep. And this is salvation that God would call us. Do you remember when God called you? See, the Bible would tell us in John 3 that we are born twice. One, we are born of flesh. We are born of water. We are born in this world. We have our birthdays. Mine is January 25th, 1982. If you missed it, it'll come around again. That's the idea. But then there's a second birth. There's a spiritual birth. There's a birth where the shepherd calls and the heart is changed. In fact, if you were to go read Ezekiel chapter 34 through 36, where he's talking about God sending his shepherd and his in Ezekiel chapter 36, it says God will replace our heart of stone with a heart of flesh that beats for him. The shepherd called. Can I tell you about mine? Nine years old in Randolph, Alabama, Shady Grove Baptist Church. Many of you have heard this over the last 10 years, but I'll tell you again because it's good to me and you need to hear it. Here's what happens. I'm a child in the home of a, of a bivocational pastor who loves the Lord, a mom who loves the Lord, grandparents who love the Lord. They take me to church. They raise me to church. They teach me about the Lord. They begin to teach me about my need for my Savior. And my brother, who's older than me, gets baptized. And I ask myself, why did he get to swim in church? So I begin to ask questions. What does this mean? What is happening? What's going on? And then I remember, I remember distinctly, I was nine years old. We were having revival. Some guy, guest preacher was in to preach. I don't remember anything he said, except he told a story about the power going out and candles in the closet. And if the power went out, are you ready to glow for Jesus? It was a terrible analogy. But I remember the Spirit. And I remember walking up the aisle of that single row church. And I remember my dad saying to me, and I remember it to this day, Romans 10, 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And in that moment, at that day, the shepherd called. The shepherd called. Oh, friend, do you have that story? Can you say that? You know that the shepherd called. I, I, I don't want to get you confused on, well, pastor, I don't remember if I was seven or eight. I don't remember if I was, you know, I'm asking you this. Do you know the shepherd? Because th this is what he's come to do. He's come to gather his sheep. This is the beauty of the passage. Ezekiel 34, 11 reads this. For thus saith the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep 
and seek them out. Isn't it good to know that our shepherds come for us personally? He didn't send a hired hand. He came himself. The great shepherd gathers his sheep. Number two, the great shepherd protects his sheep. We find in this passage that not only does Jesus gather us, but he protects us. Look with me at verse 7 through 10. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. And the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Now I want you to notice that the analogy has changed. You may not catch it because we're not shepherds. We don't fully understand, but here's what's happened. In the morning, he went to the corral in the city and he lined his sheep up. He called them by name and he, and he led them out to pasture. But now that they're in the pasture, they won't return for the night. They'll stay in the pasture. They may stay days or weeks or, or months grazing the sheep in the pasture at the right time of year. And so what will happen is, out in these pastures, they will build small stone circular fences. Just a few rows high of stone piled up, and it'll make a circle, and they'll build a corral, a catch pen, if you will, in the middle of the pasture. And so at nighttime, the shepherd will find his sheep, he will lead them into the catch pen, and they will come through one entrance. There'll be one entrance in the catch pen. There'll be no other way to get in except through the one opening in the stone, rock, small pen in the pasture. Now notice with me in the text what this means. Jesus says, first, I am the door. Now, what does he mean by this? Well, there are several things that we must linger on this analogy so that we understand. The first thing we must understand is simply this. The sheep will not get in unless they go through the shepherd. They will not get in unless they go through the shepherd. He will stand. He will line them up. Literally, this is not exaggeration. The, sheep, the shepherd in this day would line his sheep up and one by one they would come through the catch pen and one by one he would take each sheep and inspect them. He would look them over. He would pull out the thorns and the thistles. He would take the oil that he would have and he would anoint their cuts and their bruises and their bangs, uh, their, their bruises in order to make them heal. He would wash over them, right? This sounds familiar to us, right? You anointeth my head with oil, the Lord would say in Psalm 23. The shepherd looks after the sheep. And so they, they would enter in. He would anoint them. Second, it means that he would simply, because he's the door, not only would he minister to them one by one, allowing them in, he would protect them. This is how the shepherd would work. There would be no door. The shepherd would literally sleep across the opening. He would lay his body down on the opening of the catch pen, and he would be the door. You know what that means? No sheep's wandering out and getting lost, and no wolf's wandering in without that shepherd standing up. Now think about that for a moment. When you become the sheep of God's flock, and when you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, he is going to make sure that you don't end up in the wrong pastures. That he's leading you to eternity, that he's protecting you, that he's holding you in his corral of his pasture. And he's also going to make sure that the wolves don't come in. They don't snatch you away. You can't lose the pasture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice something here in verse 7. He says, I am the door. There's the sixth of one of the seven statements. I am the door. Notice the emphatic I there. It is singular. It is Jesus and Jesus alone that is this door. It is Jesus and Jesus alone that will protect his sheep. It is Jesus and Jesus alone that will save. And look at verse 9. 
Verse 9, he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go out and in to the pasture. Brothers and sisters, see the beauty of the shepherd? He's come to save us and protect us. How does Jesus protect us? Well, let me tell you. He keeps sin from grabbing us and Satan from killing us and hell from owning us. He protects us for all eternity because he is the door into salvation. This is the picture of the shepherd. He has rescued us. He has saved us. He has brought us. Ephesians 2.18, for through him we both have access to the Spirit and the Father. He's the way in which we are saved. He is the protector and the provider. And what does he give us? Look at verse 10. The thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. I come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. The shepherd takes care of us. He leads us beside the cool water. He makes us lie down in the, in the pastures. This is what the shepherd does. He protects his sheep. Finally, I want you to see third. What does Jesus mean when he calls himself the great shepherd is this. Jesus loves his sheep. I feel like at this point you should know that. You see that. You've seen his tender care and his voice to call his sheep one by one, to stand at the door and, and love on them and minister to them and care for them, to, to sleep so that the world cannot snatch them back into the wrong pasture, but to protect them. And so there's this personalness of God to his sheep. There's this, this love for God to his sheep. And, and let us make sure we press this so you know this. God knows you. He loves you. He's watching over you. He cares for you. There is nothing in your life that he is not seeing or knowing or ministering to. There's no oil or balm he will hold back in order to give his children. We are his sheep. And so we find in the text that he loves us. Look with me at the end of the passage and see the beauty of the shepherd. In verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. What makes this good shepherd so good? The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, he does not own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I will lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold that I must bring also, and they will listen to my voice so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me. I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it up from me. I lay it down on my accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Now, for just a moment, I want us to linger over why Jesus loves us. And there's a couple of things I want you to see, and then, and then we'll just worship the Lord. Look with me. I want you to see first that Jesus tells us that he loves us by telling us who he is, his person. We see the person of Jesus in this text. Look at verse 11 and verse 14. He says, I am the good shepherd. Now, understand, brothers and sisters, when he makes this declaration, he is looking at a Jewish nation that knows for certain Psalm 23. They know for certain Ezekiel 34. They know Jeremiah. They've heard Isaiah's prophecies of the shepherd. So when Jesus stands in front of them and says, I am the good shepherd, it's the same thing as him saying, I am God and I've come to get you. I am God and I've come to rescue you. I am not one of us shepherds. I am not one. I, I'm not Moses. I'm not David, though they were good shepherds. I am the shepherd. I am God in the flesh. Understand this now. Don't miss it. When Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, he is looking at us and saying, brothers and sisters, God himself has come for us. 
God himself has come to rescue us. God himself personally and passionately has come to find his sheep. When you are saved from this broken and fallen world for all eternity, know this. You're not saved by a hireling. You're not saved by an employee. You're not saved by a prophet or a priest. You're saved by God himself. God saw your need and came to rescue you. God saw what you had and he came to fill the gap with his righteousness. God came to save your soul. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Not only does he tell us of his person, he tells us of his purpose. Look with me at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Why did the good shepherd come? What was his purpose? Well, there's three here I want you to see. One, he came to save us. He came to save us. He came to die. He came to lay down. In fact, if you were to read these few verses, 11 through 18, you'll see four times in these about seven verses that Jesus says, I'm laying down my life. I'm laying down my life. I'm laying down my life. This is not analogy. This is not metaphor. This is Jesus looking solely at the cross and knowing that he came to die. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the good news that God himself came in the flesh. The great shepherd came to gather up the sheep and the way in which he gathers up the sheep from the lost and dying world, the robbers and the thieves that have pulled us away in our sin is that he will die at the hands of the wolves in order to rescue his sheep. He will lay down his life. But I want you to notice something beautiful. Look at verse 11. Excuse me, verse 15. Just as the father knows me, I know the father and I lay down my life. And I have other sheep, or excuse me, skip down to verse 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Jesus has come with the purpose of saving his sheep. And I want you to notice a couple of things about it. One, it is voluntary. Look at the words that he uses. I am laying down my life. When the wolves of the Roman soldiers came to bind him in order to crucify him, it wasn't because he couldn't call 10,000 angels. When the Jewish leaders tricked Rome into believing that he was causing some insurrection and he shouldn't be saved, it wasn't because he was outsmarted. When Satan thought that he had him bound in the grave and that he could hold him for all eternity, it wasn't because he was weak. He laid down his life. The shepherd. Nobody else will do that. In fact, he says in the text, when the wolves come, when sin comes, you're going to scatter. What does he mean by that? He means simply this, brothers and sisters, there is no other God that can save you. There is no other way that you can be rescued. There is no other person that can lay down their life and take it up again. The great chasm of death is that death wins. And the only one that's won death is Christ. And those that are in Christ's sheepfold will be led over death into eternity. And he volunteered to do it. He laid down his life. Why would he do this? Well, 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. Because he loves you. Because the shepherd loves you. He cares about you. Not only did he come to save, he came to serve. Verse 14 tells us that he will care for you personally. Look at verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Jesus came for a purpose to save you. He came to serve you. Verse 16, this is the part that helps us as Gentiles. And I have other sheep that are not in my fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. He came to save the world. He came to search and to save. He came to save us. 
to serve us and to search for others. We find the person of Jesus, the purpose of Jesus, and the power of Jesus in verse 18, and we close. And no one takes it from me, but I lay it down. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. When I think about a shepherd and wolves approaching, you know, you got a couple of options. You got run. Now, this is first century, so they're not sitting there with their, with their fancy guns, all right? You got run. You got fight. But, but you know as well as I do that a single shepherd, and most of the time in first century Israel, the shepherd was a small boy, teenager, someone given that job to go out to the pasture. So if the pack of wolves were to come, he's probably going to flee because you and I understand that a sheep's life versus your son's life or, your, or a child's life or a shepherd's life or a person's life is not equal. So you give the wolf the sheep and you learn to play another day, right? You, maybe you change careers and go into growing grapes or something, right? And this is the idea. But, but the, the picture we have here is this. We have this pack of wolves, Satan and sin and our flesh and the fallen world, ready to, to devour us and drag us into the pits of hell. And then we have the great shepherd, the great shepherd that is Jesus Christ who's volunteered for the role. The great shepherd that stands between us. And he stands there. And what happens? The wolves devour him. And he dies. And so if we stop with the farming analogy, here's what we've got. We've got a pack of wolves that have killed the shepherd and the sheep are scattering and there's no hope. But then there's verse 18. I lay down my life and I have the authority to take it up again. The beautiful picture of our great shepherd is we are not left scattered over the carcass of a dead sheep herder. We are gathered into an eternal pasture of a shepherd that will never die. And he will lead us for all eternity. I can't think of a better week in the lives of our news cycle to be reminded that the Good Shepherd leads us. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we find in this I am statement that you are a good, good shepherd that you will not desert us in our time of need, that you've not tricked us, that you are not false, that you are the legal, personal Savior. And you've come to call us, beckon us, rescue us. You've come to protect us and provide for us. And ultimately, Father, you've come to allow your life to be devoured by the wolves of sin and Satan and our own brokenness. But God, we rejoice that maybe, maybe on that day where you were crucified, it looked like the wolves were winning. Maybe on that day we were, we were nervous and scattered. Maybe, maybe for those three days of silence, it looked like the shepherd was, was lost. But Lord, we're grateful and we know that you took your life up again. And that we are confident now that we follow a shepherd that will never be defeated, that will never lose his sheep. And so God, help us. Help us watch you and follow you and listen to you. 
Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. I ask first you, brothers and sisters that are in the room, that you may not know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Listen to me. Hear me now. The shepherd has come and he laid down his life for you. He died on the cross for you. He was buried and he rose again that you might be saved. And he calls today. He asks for whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. John 1.12, for as many as believed in him, they have the right to be called sons and daughters of God. Today you can be in his sheepfold. Today you can be one of his pasture if you would come to Jesus. But you must come to Jesus. You must confess that you are a sinner separated from Him and that He alone has the power to save. You must come to Jesus. Oh, would you do that today? Would you come to the great shepherd? Maybe you're here this morning and you're a believer and you feel scattered, hurt, broken. Can I just remind you today that the shepherd sees you and he loves you and all you have to do is listen and follow his voice. You read His Word and you obey Him and you're going to walk in in paths of, of goodness and abundance. We don't mean just the material world. We mean being with the shepherd. There's no better place than to be a sheep next to the shepherd. Maybe this morning, we just need to look again at Jesus and see that He is altogether lovely and altogether worthy and altogether wonderful. For he is the good shepherd. Father, as we stand to sing, to declare that you are good, we pray, Father, that we would follow you and we would hear your voice. And we would be reminded today, in a world full of panic, we have a shepherd leading us. Bless us now as we respond in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand and sing. If you want to come this morning and pray. If you want me to pray with you, uh, let today be the day that you follow the Good Shepherd. Let's sing together.